and welcome back to another episode of Loss of Down. I am your host, Stephen Weed. Of course, always joining me in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Mr. Walter Lukashensky. Before I do toss it to him, we want you to know this episode is brought to you by TabEase.com, the premier Delta 8 edible on the market. T-A-B-E-A-S-E.com, the premier Delta 8 edible on the market. Make sure to use promo code FOOTBALL for 20% off that first order, as well as free shipping. It's being done as the best playoff weekend in NFL history, this divisional round here, these four games that we saw this weekend. Before we get into that, Wally, how was yours, my man? No kidding. My God, it might have been the best football weekend ever. You had four different walk-off winners. I mean, that's unprecedented. I think the closest ever playoff weekend before this had been 18 points. And obviously, because the Chiefs had to score on a touchdown, it got closer, but unbelievable weekend. And regrettably, happy birthday to you. I know it wasn't the best birthday, but here's the way to look at it. The 20s were a failure for Steven in Packer lore. The 30s are going to be awesome. They can't get much worse. At this point, why I'm okay with, quote-unquote, going in a rebuilding stage, because if we're going in the rebuilding stage and what I've been dealing with this past decade— it's all the same. We're not winning a Super Bowl. What's the difference to me? That's it. I mean, because Raiders and Browns fans, I know that that's a lot of our listeners. We have been in that rebuild forever mode, but when you watch how painful it's been for you as a Packer fan, seven home losses in the last, what, 15, 20 years, a lot of Super Bowl aspirations and only one to show for it in Aaron Rodgers' tenure, I don't know. I mean, you have the Super Bowl, so that's going to obviously give you a leg up. But it's miserable in a different kind of way. So I do feel for Packer fans too. I just feel being a Packers fan, the Green Bay is the Peyton Manning of football teams. They are awesome in the regular season and they just cannot get it done in the postseason. But Peyton Manning has a couple Super Bowls. Yeah, he also has two of the five lowest QBRs as a winning quarterback in those Super Bowls. Yeah, you'll get lucky every every once in a while when you throw shit at the wall. A couple turns are going to are just going to stay. Green Bay, they've ripped my heart out. I don't know if, I don't know if you can uh, if you can tell them my, my voice and lack of energy. I just want to defend Peyton for a second, though, just because we've seen now but guys like Dan Marino, we've seen guys like Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, those four guys that I just mentioned probably played 85 seasons-ish or 80-ish seasons between the four of them, and they have four Super Bowls to show for it. Just goes to show that it doesn't matter how good you are as an individual. It is very difficult to win a Super Bowl. I mean, there's a reason that there's 50-plus guys on these rosters. It is a team game. It takes a total team effort. But before we get going here, I just wanted one crazy few sentences here, I guess, for you to hear how ridiculous this weekend was, Stephen. Joe Burrow was sacked nine times. The 49ers scored six offensive points at Lambeau Field in January. The Rams lost four fumbles. The Chiefs allowed a go-ahead touchdown with 13 seconds left in the game. And all four of those teams won their game. That is a testament to how even the NFL is at this stage of the year and how much parity there is at this sport at the moment. And, I mean, God, this sport is in such good hands with all the young talent at quarterback. It's on full display, especially, I guess, in the AFC here. Do you want to just jump right now into that Bengals-Titans game first off, or do you have any other thoughts before we get into the games? Before we get into the games, I do just kind of want to be self-centered here. I need to, yet again, 
Give another shout out to my beautiful girlfriend, Miss Kylie Karen. She threw a surprise birthday party for me here this past weekend. She, I got got. I will say that I had friends coming in. Buddy from Chicago had a buddy from Indy. Fonzo, the Bears fan, even came in for your boy on the Packer game day. That's a true friend. The likes like Butson and the Parlay Princess Abby herself popping over from Toledo. Then all my Columbus goons joining it. Obviously, love you and thank you so much, Kylie. And thank you, everybody, who came along. Even those who didn't, unfortunately, Wally wasn't able to. Shit pops up. I guess I'll deal with you, but it's always going to be in the back of my mind. You remember that. But thank you for everyone who came. Thank you for anyone who wanted to come but couldn't. Love you guys. And, do we really have to talk about football? You're in the position I was last week, and yeah, Kylie's the best. So she she is definitely getting girlfriend a year for that, and I'll see you guys here next weekend, and we can have some fun before you go off on your little vacay and fun there with a boys trip for a wedding. But hey, we're going to obviously go into the first of the matchups this weekend, the Bengals and the Titans. So this was really weird. Joe Burrow, it felt like every time he caught the ball in this game, he already had a defender in his face. He was sacked nine times. He was hit another four, and those don't even count. The two additional sacks that the Bengals took in this game that were nullified by delay of game penalties. The fact that this Bengals team was able to win this game, I think is not only a testament to Joe Burrow, but it's a testament to the attitude of this team. You've seen this kind of cocky swagger all throughout this entire organization this year. And look at the hell. I mean, Evan McPherson, he has been just unreal this year. 9 of 11 from 50-yard field in the regular season. 11 of 13 now in the playoffs. 8 of 8 in the postseason, which is ridiculous, which is the first time ever an NFL kicker has made four field goals in the same postseason two separate times. What does he do before he goes out and kicks that field goal? He pops a few into the net, and he turns to his guys around him. Looks like we're going to the AFC Championship game. Talk about go, Nat, Steven. Joe Burrow said it best in his press conference. I'm tired of this underdog title. We're a good team. We're here to make noise, and that's exactly what they're doing. Sacked nine times, essentially almost 11 and 12. I'm glad I'm able to keep my composure as Wally spills half his water bottle on him while he's taking a swig while I'm speaking. But Jamar Chase, I think now, even before, right before heading into this postseason, Jamar Chase checks that box about the debate of was it smart to to pick Jamar Chase because Joe Burrow wanted him and that's his guy or bolster the offensive line here in this previous draft. And Jamar Chase has taken the cake here. Obviously, the offensive rookie of the year, at least that that that's who's going to be my pick. This team is dangerous. And maybe I'm really looking into Joe Burrow joining that elite list of quarterbacks to win the Super Bowl in their second year. Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, Big Ben Roethlisberger. Technically, second year in the NFL, Kurt Warner did win it. Now, he did have some experience before that. But second year in the NFL, Kurt Warner's up there. And this is the only way that this team is going to be successful and carry on past the championship game and eventually possibly hoisting up the Lombardi Trophy is to play behind Joe Burrow. This kid is insane. Does not look like he is missing a beat with his with that torn ACL here last year. And flip it over to the Tennessee side. It was a rough. This was the first game that they had those three all-stars that monsters, I I guess I should say, starting since week eight. And man, they were feeding them left and right. How can you not get this done with having Derrick Henry back? Derrick Henry did not look the same. Cincinnati knew exactly where you were going to go. Of course you're going to feed Derrick Henry. He's been out for the last 10 weeks. I think prior to this game, 
even though I picked Tennessee to win the money line, we already knew where they were going, and they were just they were very transparent in what that offense was going to look like. Ryan Tannehill just simply can't get it done. He throws an interception the first offensive play of the game, not even for Tennessee, of the game. And right then, right there, you knew that it just wasn't Tennessee's day there in Nashville. I like these Bengals a lot. So what Wally said, that that cocky quarterback. Uh, he's cocky, but he's a likable cocky. He's not a douchebag. He's just overconfident. Well, I want to focus first of all on the Titans, and I'll flip it back to the Bengals with you here, and we'll ask a couple questions, have a little dialogue. But the Titans, they are three big horses in Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, and Julio Jones. Beyond that, it feels a lot of average. I mean, Ryan Tannehill is an average quarterback, and that's okay when you have a deep team. We've seen, I guess, with Jimmy Garoppolo, and we'll get to that game in a moment, that with a solid team around you, you can go pretty far with an average quarterback that doesn't turn the ball over. The problem was, is he turned the ball over in this game. All three of those interceptions were big. I mean, the first one, like you said, first play of the game, sets the tone. Then you have that pick by Mike Hilton in the third quarter when the Titans were going in to score. And who knows if they do score on that drive. If it changes anything, I know that the Titans got their own pick right after. But who knows how that works. And then, of course, Logan Wilson gets a pick that sets up that game-winning field goal with less than 30 seconds left. It it hurts if you're a Titans fan. But at the end of the day, you kind of look at this. It feels about time to get a rookie quarterback in there because it feels like the the window is closing with Julio Jones and Derrick Henry getting older. Not to say Derrick Henry's old, but with how many hits he takes in a year, it's going to start piling up. I'd love to see him get a quarterback in there this year at some point. But I want to ask you a question real quick. This Titans team had all the momentum in the world with about five minutes left in this game. They had stormed back, down 10, 16-6, tie it up, they're pretty deep in Bengals territory, somewhere around like the 25-30. They have a third and one after a four-yard completion to the outside. What do they call on third and one? But a read option that Ryan Tannehill keeps? You lose half a yard at least, and then it sets up for what everybody in the entire world watching that game knew was going to happen. Derrick Henry was going to run the ball up the middle. And credit to Logan Wilson... What a game from him, and I'll keep pumping my tires here when we come back to me. But what the hell was Vrabel and this Titans team doing? So to kind of even like allude to what some of your comments, like the way that Tennessee just fell off, what Der- throwing Derrick Henry back in there obviously is a positive for your offense. But you can tell that they were kind of straying away from what made this team the number one seed and made them a little bit dangerous and fun defensively. It's just not having Derrick Henry or Julio Jones and AJ Brown, get all, get everyone who got you there involved and allow them to complement your stars being back. The read option on third and one. I mean, my God, just give it to Derrick Henry. Well, like Wally said, he just got stuffed on fourth down. I don't care. You give Derrick Henry two chances for one yard. I love those options. What did we fucking Pete Carroll in the Super Bowl and passing the ball? I mean, my goodness. I, even even a play action at that point. Use Derrick Henry positively. Get that play action going. Yes, that's how Tannehill threw that first interception. It was a bullshit play action. Bengals were ready more defensively than Tennessee was, which blew my mind. Bad read, worst call. It's here on the rundown. Wally put it. You could not have summarized that any better. And last thing on the Titans, before we talk a little bit more about the Bengals, 
But going more into the fact that this is a very limited offense that really outside of those big weapons, they don't have anything. Here's a crazy thing. When I was looking through the box score, trying to figure out some talking points for this game, the Titans in this game had four catches for 16 yards that weren't thrown to Julio Jones or A.J. Brown. They had seven rush attempts without Derrick Henry, three of which were by Tannehill. Devontae Freeman in this game with those four runs, he changed the pace. He gave a different element to this offense, and the Bengals seemed on their heels. He had that big run in the third quarter that looked like it was going to lead to a score before the Mike Hilton pick. I just think that this Titans team has to do something, whether it be kind of go and replace a Jonu Smith that we obviously noticed this year, there was a big hole there in that underneath tight end option, or go and get yourself a rookie quarterback to try to grow with these guys because it's not going to be a winning recipe. You're not going to beat a team like the Bills. You're not going to beat a team like the Chiefs, the Bengals in the future with teams set up like this, and that it's just frustrating. But before we go into your game, I do want to just take one more moment on the Bengals. This team really goes with Joe Burrow, so it's something that we're going to want to keep an eye on going into the Chiefs matchup now. This team has only lost one game in eight tries when he didn't throw a pick. They're 5-5 five and five in other games. They're also 9-2 and two in games when Joe Burrow has a passer rating above 100. They are 3-4 and four in others. They beat the Chiefs last time in Cincinnati because Joe Burrow had the best game of his young career. It is going to take something as good, if not better, to do it at Arrowhead this weekend. But right now, take a moment to really drink this in, Bengal fans. This is the start of a very, very fun future for you. You were about to be a part of that first breath of teams when people talk about Super Bowls year in and year out. You guys deserve it. You took a long time waiting. And one thing I have to, I told you I'd pump my tires. I told you going into this show, Logan Wilson. He's the best player that you guys don't know his name. That guy had a phenomenal game. Eight tackles, including the fourth and one where he stuffed Derrick Henry Gave the Bengals a realistic chance to win that game when it felt like it was slipping away. And he had the INT to set up the game-winning field goal. When you just tie in a, a second-year Logan Wilson getting a pick, Joe Burrow throwing to Jamar Chase to set up rookie kicker Evan McPherson to bomb a second 50-plus yard field goal for the win. There's a youth movement going on in Cincinnati right now, and the entire AFC better be unnoticed. And the best thing about Evan McPherson going out there, if you guys saw the Joe Burrow post game, Evan McPherson warming up a couple kicks and he kind of leans back like, Ugh. well, looks like we're going to the AFC Championship game, boys. And he just walks out there and drains it. So I'm going to pump my tires here real quick. Evan McPherson has been awesome during these last few weeks. A lot of game-winning kicks throughout the duration of the year. I saw him choke three different times when they played the Green Bay Packers. And he's been phenomenal since. That's all I got to get my two cents in because the rest of it is going to be horrible. The, the 98 cents is going to be miserable the rest of this episode. That's the crazy thing is that I think three, he either has missed five or six kicks this year, but half of them came in that freaking game against your Green Bay Packers. That's one we won't forget anytime soon. And Steven, speaking of your Green Bay Packers, six Offensive points allowed to the 49ers. Snowy Lambeau. This is where we'd been just for years talking about if the Packers should just get 
and host their playoff games, they're going to get to the Super Bowl. This is back-to-back years. They see their season end on home turf against, I feel like, teams in games that they felt like they could have and probably should have won. Just sound off, and then we'll get to all the details after. I don't even know where to start. Green Bay was the better team. They should have won. The reason Green Bay did not win the game is because of something that has been their Achilles heel. I'm sure you've heard me sound off on it. I'm still trying to find my receipts of me back in like end of October, early November, around that time where I said Green Bay special teams are going to be the downfall and they're going to rip my heart out. Here they go. The Niners score six offensive points. Jimmy G is having a horrible game. He throws a red zone interception there in the first half. We get the turnovers from San Fran. And outside of Green Bay going down and scoring on their opening drive, only have one other field goal in the rest of that game. The game, 10-3, to up until under five minutes left in the fourth quarter, where Green Bay, led by Aaron Rodgers, could not get a crucial first down, so they have to punt out of their own end zone. San Francisco blocks it. They score a touchdown. And what does Green Bay go around and do? We really need to get a first down and drive the crunch time in Lambeau, playoff time, where we need this. Aaron Rodgers at the helm, three and out. And he never sees the field again. Green Bay's defense played out of their fucking mind. Jari Alexander back. Darius Smith back with a sack. Kenny Clark with a clutch sack. Rashawn Gary with two of those sacks. And all of those were on third down. Extremely clutch sacks. They played out of their mind. Jimmy G, 131 yards on a 11 of 19 and an interception. Eliza Mitchell held the 53 yards. Debo Samuel didn't even crack 100 yards. So that is shutting down in my mind. Because Debo Samuel's been running like a wild man here as of late. And you do not win. The defense played phenomenal. At this point, I'm okay with the special teams fucking us. Because Aaron Rodgers lost us this game. Yes, on paper, the special teams blocked. And the blocked field goal right before halftime. In theory, makes this a tied game. We're going into overtime, however you want to look at it. Mercedes Lewis, fumble in the first quarter. A.J. Dillon goes out. Alan Lazard has a dropped pass. Aaron does not throw to anyone the rest of the game if you're not wearing number 17 or number 33. Aaron had 20 completions on 29 attempts. 18 of those went to Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams. With Alan Lazard having one reception for six yards and Mercedes Lewis having one reception for zero yards and a fumble. Aaron completely shut this game down. And you can go back and look at the tape and see, especially on the final drive of Green Bay season, Aaron chucked it up on third and long down to Devontae, who was double covered. And all you see is Alan Lazard just running across the middle with no one around him. Because everyone is looking at Devontae Adams. We've been saying we want this game in Lambeau. Lambeau, get playoff games for Green Bay to go to the Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers, two years ago, coming to bite him in the ass after the loss of San Francisco. Yeah, I really want one of these things in our home. Well, you had one of them. You had two of them. And you fucking blew it. Three straight interceptions by Tom Brady in the NFC Championship game last year. You didn't do anything. You don't run. To potentially score that touchdown late in the game. You don't fight Matt LaFleur about kicking that field goal. 
You come in here, you score in your first offensive possession, are demolishing San Fran with just Devontae and Aaron Jones. Combined, they had 219 yards. Aaron Rodgers finished with 225. The other six yards are from Alan Lazard. What are we doing? It is inexcusable. Dylan Watts, I know, obviously, best buddy, he will back me up. I know you will back me up. How long have I been complaining about Green Bay losing games because of no one who isn't Aaron Rodgers, specifically the defense? And this is what you do with your best defense since winning the Super Bowl? It's been 11 years of heartbreak with great offensive teams that defenses failed them. And over the past three years, you've had the best defenses you had in Green Bay. And you've done nothing but squander them. Now we're going to make it about ourselves. Oh, well, woe is me. Everyone feel bad because I threw 21 fucking targets out of my 29 attempts to two people. And now I'm blaming everybody. Like there isn't three to four other receivers you have the possibility of extending these plays to. Special teams fuck Green Bay. Kudos to San Fran for sticking around. Honestly, eat a buffet of dick, San Fran. I don't want to fucking hear it. Aaron Rodgers, I guess I'll go back. Did you specifically lose this game? No. But, man, you are sitting in the police lineup, and you are definitely getting looked at as the suspect. He absolutely is, and he should be. I mentioned Marino and Manning at the beginning, and I was kind of interested to hear you talk about how I mean, we have for years talked about how this defense has kind of been what's hold this team back or held this team back. Hayden Manning and Dan Marino had very kind of similar careers where they had dynamic seasons all the time, a ton of freaking skill, and what, you have two Super Bowls to show for? One of those is actually from the Denver defense 2015 or whatever. It's one thing when the expectations are low for the team as a collective whole. But as soon as it feels like everything is perfect and the expectations are Super Bowl or bust, that is a lot of pressure and just didn't feel like Rodgers was up for it. He won that Super Bowl in 2010. I mean, look at the last 11 years now that we've seen. I know analytics police are coming out saying, hey, his worst four playoff games ever were average at best or slightly below average. I understand. I know this is kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth the way I started the show. But you're the quarterback. You really lead this team. And being that dynamic quarterback can elevate the team when they're having a day like this. And he did not do it. As for the special teams, not only is the block punt effectively a death blow, because the 49ers weren't going to score a touchdown if that block punt didn't happen. But on top of that, to have the field goal at the very end of the game, and you had 10 guys on the field, that is so damning on a coaching staff. The fact that this has not been addressed or fixed throughout the entire course of this year, it's fitting that that is really the death blow for this team and the reason that this team fell apart. I don't know. It, it disappoints me because Rodgers is outstanding. The town is there. But at the end of the day, he didn't get it done. He had a chance in this game to do it and to put his team in the NFC title game. And he failed to. The first half, he was all over that team, but he always does this. He'll just shut down. He'll just, oh, well, the cards are against me. This isn't it. Oh, Mercedes, oh, you're done. You're cut off. Oh, Al Lazard, he dropped one. You're cut off. It's embarrassing. And, and to your point, if you don't think special teams don't matter, watch this game. 
and tell me that special teams don't matter. It's embarrassing for a, a professional football organization to to put however many people, which should be 11, 10, 9, 8, who gives a shit? It is embarrassing. I, You know, one other thing I want to just bring up here, I guess a couple, I'm going to ask you a question here, but I don't remember a player in any sport damaging their own personal reputation more in 12 months than perhaps maybe Antonio Brown over and over again than Aaron Rodgers this year. Because not only is the play on the field disappointed on a team as loaded as this Packers team, but on top of that, he's blamed, like not to say blaming others, but you can feel the shift of blame or the, hey, it wasn't me trying to hide under the radar a little bit. He comes into his post game, or at least the last few days on like these podcasts and these interviews, and he's going, everybody was against us. I know the world wanted to see us lose because of my vaccination status. Talk about a fucking ego. I mean, I, I just can't wrap my head around how this guy has kind of just fallen off the, the freaking wagon. He is cracked since pretty much the spring with all these kind of weird, like, hey, I'm going to just sit away from the team, go dark, go hang out basically in the freaking jungle and then just pop up one day and expect everything to be fine. Then you lie about your vaccination status. Then, I mean, then you do this whole last dance thing. I know that you are obviously, in a lot of Packer fans, you are so appreciative of what he did and what he has done with you, and I think that is more than fair. But with that said, it's got to piss you guys off a little bit. It feels like he's put himself above the team this year. It absolutely does, and he is, speaking of Antonio Brown, it's they are enabling him to do so. Right? He's got the front office and everyone by the balls there. And so he, by every other press conference, if he keeps getting away with it, like when you're first learning how you can sneak out when you're a teenager. Oh, let me go this way. Oh, no, maybe this is the time. Then then you keep getting nervous. Then eventually after a while, you're like, yeah, this is nothing. Right? That's what Aaron, his threshold is building up where he can just be the biggest condescending asshole that you could see. The only difference is that's my asshole. That's my condescending asshole because he's throwing pigskin with the green and yellow on. But it's it's getting really hard at this point to back him up because his play was going to – it's like, yeah, well, he's a dick, but shit, he can throw football pretty well. Yeah, you can throw it to two guys pretty well. You know, he did not paint himself in a good light. Hopefully that leads him to continue to be my contradicting asshole at quarterback and not into another team's hands. So I'd rather have, have him retired. At this point, just keep sucking it up and ripping my heart out in Green Bay just so I know he can't be successful anywhere. Is that pretty pitiful or what? Or is that is that too much pity? Oh, no. This is the time of year for pity. Misery loves company. So that's the only benefit of this whole thing is at least I know that you also feel miserable so we can share in that. But I want to ask you one quick question before we get to some sad topics for you here. If, and big if, if the Packers cannot retain Devontae Adams or Aaron Rodgers, where do you want to see them go? Do you want to see a veteran free agent? Do you want to see Jordan Love? Or do you want to see maybe go to the draft yet again? When I'm trying to figure out how I feel about certain things, I feel like that episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where uh, Charlie's just, who's like, where's Pepe Sylvia? Where's Pepe Sylvia? And he's got like this huge, I don't even know what, smorgasbord and clusterfuck of names in mailroom. Uh, or names and pieces of mail trying to find this one. But regardless, majority of the people that are listening to this know the reference, so I'm not going to butcher it any more than I have. I think my my best case scenario right now, what I want, my number one pipe dream, 
Maybe we trade Aaron Rodgers, get some assets. God forbid we don't know where he goes. Resign Devontae Adams, and then we trade with those assets that we received. We then trade to get what seems to be right now an unhappy Derek Carr from the Las Vegas Raiders. It's very possible we'll see, you know, Devontae and Derek and, and their past and what they have collegiately when they played at Fresno State together. So anything is possible. At this point, it's I, I either want Aaron to retire. I want him to stay with Green Bay. Jordan Love is obviously not the answer for that quarterback position. And quite frankly, Devontae wants to go because of having Jordan Love. Do you blame him? It's going to suck because it's very rare you have that type of talent. But how how much do you credit that to having Aaron Rodgers? And I can see Devontae's production dropping drastically. Going to another quarterback who is not Aaron. I'll give Derek Carr. I think Derek Carr can definitely get that chemistry back. And maybe a couple other people. But it's very far and few between, I think, that he can play. Who he can play with. I would love to see him end in Green Bay. Now, if we do get draft capital, what's addressed in the draft? And I was actually talking, I was talking to my buddy about this earlier. I, as a Packers fan, I've never had to deal with a rebuild like a Raiders or a Browns fan. So I'm kind of interested and almost entertaining the idea. Hindsight's going to be 2020 when I'm just dreading my life. I think it'd be fun. I think the, on the defensive side of the ball, Green Bay is stacked. That's going to open up a lot of money if Aaron is not there. He's due, I think, a little bit less than 47 mil as a cap hit this year. I think it's a little bit less than 30 mil in dead money if, if we decide to cut him, trade him, however it may be. We have a lot of studs on the defensive side of the ball. I like the offensive line. I like the running backs. Now, quarterback is, is, a, is a make or break for you. I don't think Jordan Love is going to be the answer, but maybe just have a rookie quarterback that we can build or, you know, maybe a guy that we can get cheap. Maybe we just trade for Russell Wilson. Definitely don't fucking want Carson Wentz. But there's always going to be an option. And I think with Aaron potentially leaving, maybe Green Bay's general manager in their front office can sack up and make some free agent splashes. It's fun to rebuild for maybe a year. It's when you do it over and over again. Like now, this is when you know it's reached a bad point. And I know that all the Browns friends of mine, I know all the Bengals fans of mine, I know even your buddy Adam Alfonso, all these Bears fans also understand my pain as a Raiders fan when the offseason is more fun for you than the actual games that are being played, you know you have reached that point. And that is where I'm already preparing myself for again. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, that last week in April's not far away. Where are the Raiders going to be picking? It's going to magically fix all our problems. You'll get there too. And I'm looking forward to sharing a little bit of that offseason love with you. So before we go on to the next game, we're, as the outsider looking in, what do you think Aaron Rodgers' destiny is? It's funny, because we've seen all year on the Pat McAfee show, but Aaron Rodgers has been openly openly flirting with Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, that would make a lot of sense because he goes into a system with a very good defense. He has a very good head coach. He has solid weapons on the outside. They might be airheads, but they're freaking good receivers. If they can address their offensive line, it makes a lot of sense. But I don't know. There's some part of me that thinks that Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers are going to almost be a package deal wherever they go. And if that is the case, uh, I don't know. You're going to have to find a place that has that money to afford it. And Pittsburgh's not it. it they're not going to be able to get both of those guys. So I think that's a very natural fit right now 
Denver's a natural fit for Aaron Rodgers, but neither of those teams have Devontae. So I guess I'd say Pittsburgh, but I still think package deal is very possible. With the possibility of Nathaniel Hackett, Green Bay's current offensive coordinator, uh, being hired for Denver, I, I can see that as the lone destination, right? Quarterback troubles. You take you take Peyton Manning out of the equation since Elway has been a hellhole. Get Aaron Rodgers over there. They have a bunch of stud receivers that obviously do not compare to Devontae Adams, but they have those young guys still on, that are cheap. Maybe you can package Devontae with a first round. You maybe sprinkle like a Cortland Sutton or maybe take a risk and throw Pat Sertain in there on the defensive side of the ball. So I'm very I that would be my prediction. Only if Nathaniel Hackett does go there. If Nathaniel Hackett ends in ends up in Denver, I can kiss Aaron and Devontae both goodbye. Hypothetical. Aaron Rodgers is a Denver Bronco. Devontae Adams is a Las Vegas Raider. If that happened, that division, top to bottom, would be one of the nastiest on paper entering a year that we've ever seen. That's all I got. This week's recap segment is brought to you by Abby Turner Creative, your one-stop shop marketing agency specializing in branding, high-end photography, fashion, advertising, and more. Especially if you are at me and Wally's age, or college graduations, engagements, weddings, baby pictures, you name it. Feels like they're happening every weekend. Abby Turner Creative is the only way to go. Check her out for yourself on abbyturnerphoto.com or on her Instagram at Sawdad and Sapphire. Again, abbyturnerphoto.com. And the next game that we have here on the slate, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers lose to the Los Angeles Rams 30-27, to but not before they came back. The Buccaneers down from 27 to 3. And again, only to choke to Cooper Cup, the man he's been doing it all year, and Matt Stafford on the final drive. It was miraculous watching this game. Like, I'm keeping it on because I know what's going to happen. And you see the four fumbles, two by Cam Akers, you got the one by Cooper Cup, and then the hilarious fumble of the center snapping the ball over Matt Stafford's head immediately right after Von Miller strip sacked Tom Brady to get the ball. It was an hilarious turn of events. Like, there's no, there's no, Tampa's winning this. After you saw that, they're like, God is on this side. What kind of witchcraft voodoo shit is Tom Brady doing on that sideline? Tom Brady did recreate some magic, but he just could not get it done. And the defense, the unit that led him to that Super Bowl win and that hot playoff run last year is the one, is the same one that led him down this year, Antoine Winfield Jr., getting burned on that final play to set the Rams up in field goal where Matt Gay hit the game-winning kick as time expired. And poor Buccaneers fan, too, that it's a former Buccaneer that's the one that made the field goal early in the fourth quarter. He was getting ready to be the GOAT of this game. He was short on a 47-yard field goal in the fourth quarter. And then, I mean, credit to this guy. He goes back out there when everything is going against the Rams, and he puts one through. So... I'm sure that felt good for him. I know that Rams locker room probably really let him enjoy that moment, and they should have. I mean, this was, it's so hard to blow a lead like that and be able to kind of just say, all right, guys, new football game, refocus up. And Matthew Stafford has, what, now played in three or four playoff games ever. This was his second win. For a guy that doesn't have a lot of experience in high-pressure games like this, to have the composure to go out there with under a minute left, with all the momentum in the world, everything and anything that could go wrong has gone wrong. And to find Cooper Cup on that play and to be able to run down 
knowing what they had watched a week before with Dak Prescott, and to be on that ball, to be ready to snap and spike it, I can only tip my hat to Matthew Stafford and to Sean McVay. And I'll get to Sean McVay later with the Kyle Shanahan matchup. But in this game, outside of maybe that end of the first half fumble, where they were kind of pushing it a little bit when I didn't feel like they needed to, I thought that he did a pretty good job. Sometimes weird things just happen. And this was a very good example of this was a weird weekend. It was a weird football game. And you're just happy that you go home now. You have a division rival and you're one win away from the Super Bowl. Division rival, you just seem to not be able to beat here over the last six matchups. This will be, the Rams are searching for their first win, which will now be their seventh matchup, their first time in that seventh matchup. My goodness. The big story around this now, which I didn't think was going to be a story at all, but it's Tom Brady possibly retiring. Now, we've we've heard he likes to play well into his 40s, maybe pushing 50. He's 44 this year. He was nothing short of extraordinary, leading basically every single statistical category as a quarterback in the NFL this year. Had Tom Brady's name on it, on top of, of course, all as number one in all the record books. I thought he looked great. He looked like a guy who was facing a D-line who was ready to take advantage of a unhealthy offensive line with Wurfs being out. And then he had Ryan Jensen, who was still a little bit hurt. And at one point, they had a third-string right tackle in. Oh, man, and there's this one play. Von Miller, just one-hand bull rush, comes right for Tom Brady. It was – this game did not give me a feeling like this was Tom Brady's last. I feel like he's going to want to come back. He loves that. He's always on that runner's high of winning and being competitive. And I don't think him falling short this year, knowing how capable they are, and with the absence of Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, no Ronald Jones, you had Tristan Wirfs that was out. A lot of your defensive players were out for a lot of this year as well. I think he wants to come back and maybe try to run it back fully loaded here. We'll see what, what they can do in-house in bringing players back. But do you – Based on what you saw, or I don't want anything to kind of influence you. Personally, do you think that Tom Brady is going to retire and we won't see him again? Yes. That's my answer is yes. And my thought is actually one of this, is that he went out and still proved that he could do it at a very high level. He brings his team back from a 27-3 deficit, ties the game late with a couple touchdown drives in the last five, six minutes of that game. I think it's the perfect way to go out without a Super Bowl where Brady still did everything to put his team in a position to win. He just fell short. And it's almost like a perfect narrative for him to quietly go into the sunset. And I don't want to make you too sad going back to back, but you want to talk about another fun possible landing destination for Aaron Rodgers. Imagine Tom Brady retiring, then Aaron Rodgers immediately saying, you know what? I kind of like what he was doing down there. I'll sign for a little bit of a discount. That team is freaking loaded, and they're ready to go for a Super Bowl yet again next year. And Bucks fans then become the most fortunate fan base in the entire NFL. Don't put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Oh, man. If Aaron's going to stay, just go in the AFC. Because I know that Green Bay's never going to make it to the championship without him. Just so I can see you represent. And I then just go to the AFC so I know you're not going to win one between that gauntlet of quarterbacks. Talladega Knights, you can't beat that. Plus, was it? I think it's James Clark Duggan. He was an awesome freaking actor before he regrettably passed away. So, great line. Anyways, two other quick notes before we finish up here, or at least for me, is I know that we're not supposed to take 
postseason into award voting. But we already know these people do do that. Is there any chance with Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers losing in the fashion that they did, that Cooper Cup, the way he's playing, can sneak back in to that MVP race? Because the guy was phenomenal. He is a large reason why his team is in the NFC Championship game and a very large reason why Tom Brady's team isn't. And then we saw how, obviously, the Aaron Rodgers season ended. I'd be interested to see what the odds were before and after this weekend. But then, last thing for the Bucs. Credit to the Rams. Congratulations to the Rams. We'll talk more about them when we get to the preview. But this shows how hard it is to repeat in the NFL. And it also shows how hard it is to stay healthy when you have those extra six to eight games that other teams that aren't in the playoffs don't have on their body throughout the year. Very, very hard to do at this day and age. But Buccaneers, phenomenal team. Regardless if Brady's back or not, if they get the right guy in there, they're going to be very formidable again next year. No, I'm fucking, I was like, oh yeah, I totally forgot that dude died. So I was just starting in on uh, researching that. Yeah, really sad. 2012, we're going on 10 years, which is pretty upsetting. Uh, 10 years in uh, September. So, wow. Uh, you learn something new every day, even if it's uh, 10 years apart from when you actually learned it. Yeah, I'll leave I'll leave with the question uh, that you that you ended with. Yeah, it's absolutely hard. It proves how hard it is to repeat. I mean, the, the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be the anomaly here. They're going to their fourth straight um, AFC Championship game. We will get to that here in, in a little bit. But, yeah, it proves that it's hard. And it's also, I believe, I have to look at it. I don't want to look at it exactly because if I'm right here, if I remember it correctly, 56 straight years that the leading passer in the NFL has not won the Super Bowl. Wow, that is un- I've never heard that. That is an unreal stat. And I got to see something else. I I, I want to say it was like it's 24th straight year that the MVP of the NFL. So now it is now it is a fact. The MVP of the NFL has goes on to not win the Super Bowl as well. So Tom and Aaron are out. The two people are expecting to be MVP. That streak stays alive too. So for gambling, we got to remember that. Whoever we think the MVP is, we are betting against them. Oh, they're a top dog. Nope. Well, they have the MVP. That's what they want you to think. Because the NFL is fucking rigged. It's exactly what they want you to think. The birds aren't real, and the NFL is rigged. I don't know really where to touch that one. Uh, I hope it's not rigged, but there's a lot of you guys out there. And for the Cooper Cup question. Now, the MVP, yeah, I think that he should be hoisted back into it, but it's a regular season. I agree. And, award, and, so they're not so they're not going to give them the time of the day because of that. But do you really think that they actually don't put those in cuz we see it all the time if there's like it's like a tiebreaker, but I want to know is at what point is it close enough that these guys start wondering maybe we should have put Cooper Cup in. Then why did Josh Allen have more votes than Patrick Mahomes last year, the guy who went and lost the Super Bowl or had more votes than the end of the quarterback that actually won the Super Bowl? Right? Aaron Rodgers had the most, and he lost the NFC Championship game, his back-to-back championship, and his third or fourth in a or consecutive one that he's been in that he's lost. This is and great, by the way, because you're talking him. about rigged NFL, and I'm talking about the lack of integrity of the voters. Great show for the NFL. Yeah, uh, this is one that they probably want to fast-forward. LOD 64 is really going to hit different. But we're just being realists. We all know what's going on. Come on, just between us girls. Between us girls. Yeah, between us girls. You can tell us. We know it's right. All right, Steven. And you know what game we are officially on now? The Kansas City Chiefs 
in arguably the best game we've ever seen. At least when you factor in the stakes of the game. The Chiefs outlast the Bills. They win the coin toss after an unbelievable final two minutes where 25 points were scored between the two teams. In the final two minutes, Patrick Mahomes, he threw for 188 yards and a touchdown. Josh Allen throws for over 100 yards and two touchdowns. We've never seen a game like that, first of all. It felt like a back-to-back flawless performance by the Bills offense. And if I had told you or me that going into this game, I think I would have been shit in a brick compared to how confident I was with the Chiefs. All I can tell you is, Steven, we both look like morons after this game. This looked like the greatest show on turf, both sides of the ball, back and forth. And all we've done all year is knock these teams down a peg back and forth. We'll get to the bet after we're done with the game. But hand up. The Bills are very good. Josh Allen is very good. It's going to be a very fun AFC the next few years. But you cannot look past this Chiefs team. Unbelievable what they did. And as much as I hate them, you can't sit and kind of be a little bit in awe of what this team is capable of when they're clicking. So while we were recording that Bills-Chiefs recap, Steven got a call with some personal news, and he's not going to be able to finish the rest of this episode. If he chooses to divulge information next week, then he can. Otherwise, we're obviously thinking of Steven. We love Steven and hope everything's going well on his end. But we are going to finish this recap and the rest of the show with just me. We're not going to go over that bet, the jersey bet, until next week. We'll definitely get around to it. You know how Steven is. Steven's a big jokester. He loves to be in on jokes, be a part of the joke, be the butt of the joke sometime. And and we'll definitely get around to it and that will happen. But I'm just going to focus on this Chiefs-Bills game real quick, give you our picks, and we're going to wrap up here. But, you know, it's it's just a little hard to stay upbeat with personal things going on. And not to mention, it's just not the same when it's just me. So I'll give you guys my two cents here on this Chiefs-Bills game. Wrap that up, and then we'll get to our picks. I'll let you guys know what those are. And then we will get, get you guys out of here pretty quickly, let you guys enjoy your championship weekend. But anyways, for the Chiefs and Bills, don't really remember where I left off. So again, bear with me, everybody. But 25 points in the final two minutes. Clearly, all the talk is about the overtime rules. I will definitely have to ask Steven next week, regardless of when, and I guess regardless of who wins that game next week, what his opinion is on the overtime rules. Now, I can hear both sides of the argument. I guess I will start in favor of the current rules, and then I will give... I guess my thoughts on the reason it it is not a good idea. But of the 163 overtime games ever with the current overtime rules, and that's going back to where you kick a field goal, you still have to kick off to the other team if it happened on the first possession. That was obviously not around when we were growing up. People my age, high 20s, we started with just a field goal would win it. So it has gotten better. I understand the frustration of Mahomes a few years ago when Brady didn't give him the ball. This time when Mahomes wouldn't give Josh Allen the ball. I get it, and that's tough. But of those 163 overtime games, only 35 were decided by touchdowns on the first possession of overtime. That's only 21.5%. Now, you give me a 1-5 in odds, sure, I'll take it, taking the ball first. But there's also a risk with that. If you have to punt on your opening drive, welcome to hell. You're back to the old overtime rules. Field goal beat you. Safety beat you. Anything beat you. And then Lewis Riddick, he went a little further and just said, 
Hey, don't tell me coin flips are deciding games in overtime. Strategy and execution does. And that's fair. I, I do think that that is a, a fair question or a fair element to bring up here is that you still have to execute. You still have to call the right plays. You still have to go out there and actually do it. But my counterpoint for him, and it actually goes here against the current rules, the stats anyways, we talked about 163 games, but only 11 were playoff games. Of those 11, 10 were won by the toss winner. Seven of those were on the opening drive, so that's over 50. I know it's smaller sample size, but that's a bigger number. The only loss out there was, ironically, the Los Angeles Rams going to the New Orleans Saints, and we all know how that ended. I guess if you make me pick a side, I would love even more of a, I guess, a soft gradual change that goes into the college game a little bit. I think you have both teams guaranteed one possession, but instead of starting in plus territory, you start on your own 35-yard line. Both teams then, it's drive versus drive until you have a winner. That's what I would do. You have to at least push it a little bit harder that way. But I do think it does need changing in some regards. Both teams need to have a shot. This was too good of a game to have one of the quarterbacks have to sit the bench and watch the other drive down the field and win. What's crazy to me is that the Chiefs were the one that pushed for overtime change four years ago after that loss to the Patriots and Tom Brady. Now they're on the beneficiary side of it. I'm sure they liked the overtime rules a little bit more this year than they did in the past. But I guess my hang-up on this entire thing is we're focused on the wrong thing. This game shouldn't have got the overtime. First of all, you can say that with either team. Both teams scored go-ahead or tying touchdowns or field goals through four scoring drives in the final two minutes. Bills walk down the field, take the lead. And then you're like, did they leave too much time for Patrick Mahomes? Then Tyreek Hill does what he does. He scores, flying up the sideline. Still a little pissed off because that should have been a taunting. It's either call it or you don't, but stick to the fucking letter of the law. That was taunting. Probably worked out for uh, the Bills at that point, though, because the Chiefs would have just taken more time off and scored. But instead, the Bills got the ball back, drive right down the field, score their touchdown with 13 seconds left. Ball game, turn the TV off, you're done, right? No, of course not. Chiefs, two plays. And the brilliance of Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes was on full display. After that 15, 20-yard completion on first down, put them right around, what, the 40, 40-ish yard line? Still need 20 yards before you can even really think about kicking a field goal. Travis Kelsey gets to the line. Hey, you know what? I'm going to actually go basically off script. I'm going to run this route here. What do you hear Mahomes doing? Do it, do it, do it at the line. The rest is history. But this never should have even happened. 13 seconds left in this game. Sean McDermott chooses to kick the ball deep. What are you doing, buddy? This is two games in a row that you feel like that the special teams had a direct effect on the losing team. You squib it, they have one play before they have to Hail Mary. You kick it kind of like that college style inside the five on purpose towards the sideline. One play, Hail Mary. I get the risk. You're like, hey, you know what? I don't want to kick it to the sideline. We go back to the square one. Kick the squib it. I wouldn't want to be Sean McDermott's therapist right now if he has one because that is going to be the subject of discussion for the next nine months. How did I do that? How did I not squib the kick? But that's all I got on that one. 
Sorry again. It's getting choppy. It's hard. Uh, I'm trying to stay focused. It's just a little difficult. Let's flip it on over to our gambling segment now. Let's look ahead to our two games. Crazy. We're down to two. We want to remind you guys that Loss of Down is brought to you by Tabbies.com, the best Delta 8 THC edible on the market. It's sugar-free, keto-friendly, gluten-free, heat-resistant, made of 100% pharmaceutical-grade ingredients with consistent dosing for the perfect edible experience. But hey, if you're not into Delta 8 THC, that's not a problem. Tabbies offers an option with no THC while using the same proprietary drug delivery system to ensure that guaranteed dosage of CBD. Right now, Tabbies.com offers three flavors, galactic fruit, watermelon, and mint. They are perfect for any time your anxiety is high. I've been battling depression and anxiety for a long time, and it's not a fix. Like, Don't get me wrong about that, but it does make me feel much more at ease, hence the name. Whenever I am feeling overwhelmed, I seriously would recommend this, whether they were a sponsor or not. So please go and make sure you follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Tab East Co. That is Tab East Co. spelled T-A-B-E-A-S-E-C-O to be the first to know when they drop. You can get any of these products at TabEase.com and with the promo code FOOTBALL, you can get 20% off your entire order and free shipping. What the hell's going on out here? Last kind of normal feeling football day of the year. Super Bowl has that novelty feel. You don't really get the same. So last real football weekend here. Last week, Steven went 4-4. Four and four. Postseason record overall now is at 11-9. and nine. I went 5-3. and three. Postseason record is 14-6. and six. We know the difference there is obviously that Chiefs-Bill game. And again, we'll be giving Steven a hard time here when we get back to normal here in a couple weeks. So don't you worry about that. He's not getting off the hook. Well, let's go into the Cincinnati Bengals. Traveling to KC and Arrowhead, where the Chiefs are seven-point favorites. Over-under set at 54.5. I'll give you here Steven's picks before I give you my reasons. I'm going to just literally read here off the rundown his thoughts and give you his picks. So he has written down Cincinnati plus seven, KC money line, and the over. The rematch from a couple weeks ago, Joe Burrow and Pat Mahomes are just hot right now. We all saw Burrow getting sacked nine times. Clearly, Kansas City has the upper hand on that end. Cincinnati has allowed the third most sacks on the year, while Kansas City has the fourth fewest. With how bad Cincinnati's O-line is, Kansas City has the fourth fewest sacks on the defensive side of the ball. I do trust the Bengals' defense more. Since Casey has had a top D in the league, that's in air quotes, they have, God, he can't help himself. They have given up 303 yards and 23 points per game. Kansas City secondary allowed six most yards, but Cincinnati isn't that far behind them, allowing the seventh most. So again, Steven has Cincy plus seven, KC money line in the over. I have KC minus seven in the money line. And I mean, God, what a matchup. Joey Burrow and Patrick Mahomes, I mean, get used to saying that. These two teams will be fixtures in this game, this next decade. I was even talking about uh, with my buddies up there from Northeast Ohio. I truly believe that the over-under should be set at 6.5 for a number of appearances in the Super Bowl in the next 10 years between Patrick Mahomes' Chiefs team and Joey Burrow's Bengals team. I love these guys' swagger. I love the way they approach the game. This cockiness, that permeates with everybody. There's a confidence there. Cockiness is probably the wrong word. There's a bit of cockiness, but if you handle it the right way and you still are humble, I think that's a really good thing. 
But I've been saying all year, and just because they are here right now doesn't change the fact that the Bengals are a year away. Joe Burrow overcame the near impossible last weekend with how poorly his offensive line played, and at some point that line is going to catch up to them. The Bengals need a near-perfect offensive game. And they'll need to force turnovers, too. I talked about Logan Wilson having to have a great game last week. He's going to have to do it again. So is the rest of that team. Eli Apple stepped up, looked a lot better last week. I know he's talking his shit on Twitter, and he should, I guess, because myself and everybody else around the NFL world has been dogging this guy for five years. He's had the nickname Eli Bad Apple, Eli Awful. It's been everywhere. I understand why he wants to flex. He forced that pick last week. He tips it. Logan Wilson doesn't make the play if that doesn't happen. The Titans made it clear they were attacking him. He gave up yards, but he did enough to get that team to win, or at least help his team to win. But I do think the magical run is going to fall short here. The Chiefs are going to make their third straight Super Bowl in a row. But how did the Bengals win this game? Joe Burrow. The big balls on this game. I mean, he's elevated his game at the most important point of the year. I mentioned that the Bengals have gone 7-1 in the games this year when he doesn't throw an interception versus 5-5 five five when he does. His first interception in the last six weeks was last week when Samaj P. Ryan decided to drop the ball. Not to mention that was also a little tough. I think it was the right call. That interception, I think that he controlled it before it hit the ground. But I can understand with the way the rule is written why some might have felt that it was incomplete. I think they got it right. And I think that you should be happy that they called it that way now in hindsight. But the matchup between Mahomes versus Burrow is going to be a special one. It's going to be really interesting to see if that's kind of the next generation's Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning. And I mean, with Justin Herbert and Josh Allen too, I, I think you're going to almost see one of those guys kind of become the next Phillip Rivers. Really, really good quarterback, but he keeps running into the buzzsaw that's going to become the Chiefs and the Bengals. The last time these teams did match up though, Joe Burrow played a game that most quarterbacks would feel proud to call their best game of their career. They were at home, sure. Caught breaks from the refs, absolutely. Held the Chiefs to only three second-half points and had to win on a game-winning field goal. To go to Arrowhead and repeat history seems just a little bit too tall of a task for me. And I think one of the major reasons for that is going to be because of what the Bengals have been doing when they have gotten plus territory this postseason. They've had to settle for eight different field goals between the two games. You will not beat the Kansas City Chiefs kicking field goals. Be really proud of this, Bengals fans. This will be a season you won't forget anytime soon. It's going to get better, but it's not there yet. Give it time. Build your offensive line in free agency or the draft and come out and really give Joe Burrow time to prepare. Because, I mean, God, if he has time to throw the ball to where he finds an open receiver, this team is going to be even scarier than they are now. But the Chiefs are going to win this game, and I do think they're going to cover Call it 38-27. And our next game here, short note here from Steven on San Francisco at LAR at the Rams, minus three and a half, and the total is set at 46 and a half. Steven has the Rams minus three and a half in the money line. He says it's really hard to beat a team three times in one season, and Cooper Cup will not be denied a Super Bowl. Well, I actually agree with his picks. I have the Rams minus three and a half in the money line as well. And I know that this makes no sense whatsoever, but my, I guess, personal money bet. I'm telling you, I'm picking the Rams in Moneyline. Holding against me, I'm picking them. That's where I would bet right now. 
But my money, personally, is not going to go onto this game until the Bengals-Chiefs game is over. And again, this is ridiculous. Makes no sense whatsoever. But if the Bengals win that earlier matchup, I'll believe that the 49ers are going to win. That just seems like the perfect storybook ending for both teams. Common opponents in the Super Bowl. Only two appearances the Bengals had in the 80s. Kim has losses to this 49ers club. But of course, you know I took the Kansas City Chiefs to beat the Bengals, so I think the Rams will win. I know it's ridiculous. I said it's ridiculous. Hand up. I know it. I don't know what you want from me. It's called self-awareness. These teams know so much about each other. That makes me believe that the better team is going to come out on top. What worries me, and, and I've noticed that the what I guess national media has kind of caught on to this talking point, but the 49ers have won six straight matchups versus the Rams. And it kind of leads you to the question, why is this going to be any different? Does Kyle Shanahan own Sean McVay? I may not believe that it's necessarily an owning thing, but I definitely think that that Kyle Shanahan gives Sean McVay fits. These are both kind of these new age young style coaches. This is scientific to them. On top of having the gut, and the instincts to call plays at certain times when maybe the book tells you not to. It makes me think that Sean McVay almost gets into his own head, thinking that Kyle Shanahan might be a step ahead, and when in reality, he's not. But I think the reason that I'm taking the Rams here, and I think that I'm pretty confident in it right now, is like all things. You go right to the quarterback matchup. Matthew Stafford is a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo. And this is another thing, too, because this is going to be a San Francisco-heavy crowd, I'd imagine. But what pissed me off, this week, L.A. and SoFi Stadium tried to make it a zip code requirement. Like, you had to be in the L.A. area to be able to buy tickets for this game. How pathetic is that? You live in a city with tens of millions of people. And you can't even fill up a freaking stadium that seats 80,000 with your fans? Good. I'm glad San Francisco's taking it over. And I'm glad that they kind of retroactively revoked that ticket thing with the zip code or whatever. What a joke that is. If they kept it up to LA, it'd be half freaking full. Good for 49er faithful. I know they're kind of their own fair weather fans in their own right, but they're a hell of a lot better than LA. I understand wanting a market there. But at what cost? It is such a laughing stock every single Sunday, alternating between the Chargers and the Rams, seeing teams just walk into their facility and take it over. How can that be okay with people? I can't even. I got pissed this year as a Raiders fan because there were a couple games that it was 50 50. If I saw Raiders games where it was 10% Raider fans, And I I get it. L.A. and Las Vegas are transient cities, transplants, people like to visit there. That's all fine and dandy, but it's your home field. You defend that. That's a city's responsibility. That is a fan base's responsibility. Sorry, I'll get off my soapbox. That just really bothers me. I'm taking the Rams minus three and a half for all the stupid reasons I've told you already. And Steven has a great point. Cooper Cup looks phenomenal. He looks so good. Oh, God, it did just reoccur to me, though, that Browns fans might have to watch a Bengals versus Odell Beckham Jr. Super Bowl, and that sounds like the deepest layer of hell for those fans. We'll see. That's why they play the game, though. A couple other notes before we send you guys on your way today. 
Sean Payton stepping down yesterday. Kind of funny to me. Steven and I have been on this all year about how we believe that while he's a solid coach, he's grossly overrated. Everybody fixates on the Super Bowl, as they should. But if we're going to be sitting around and calling people like John Gruden terrible football coaches, and I'm talking strictly football coaching, then how do you kind of defend Sean Payton? He's had close to super teams for the better part of a decade, has Drew Brees as his quarterback, has home field almost as often as the Packers did. I just think he's a little overrated. Not to mention, he is part of the reason his team is in cap hell. He falls in love with Taysom Hill for some reason or another, pays him a ridiculous amount of money, and then up and leaves when the team is in cap hell. We all know how this ends. He's going to take a year off. Magically have the urge to coach again. We've heard that before, Urban. And then when Mike McCarthy gets shit-canned, when one of these other premier jobs open up, you know he's leaving for it. There's been ties to him in Dallas for as long as anybody can ever remember. Guy coached there under Bill Parcells for several years. We've seen this both of the last two times that the job opened up in Dallas. When Wade Phillips was fired and before Jason Garrett took the job, there was rumors there. After Jason Garrett got fired, before they hired Mike McCarthy, again, there were rumors. I think it was hard for him at that point to step away from a Saints team he thought was very possible, or was very possibly a Super Bowl threat. Dallas wasn't there. Difference is now, Dallas feels pretty close. If they're a piece or two away, I'm not sure where it's going to fit yet. It feels like coaching is their problem. Why wouldn't he come back? I think if Jerry Jones, you called him up right now and said, hey, Sean Payton will come back tomorrow, he'd have McCarthy fired before the phone even was hung up. What tricky part of it is, is that he has control, or the Saints have control over his rights for the next two years. So even if after a year of sitting out, the Cowboys or someone else comes a knocking, they're going to have to negotiate with the Saints for a buyout. It's not unprecedented. We've seen teams want to coach bad enough or want to get rid of a coach bad enough. Look back to, ironically, John Gruden in the trade between the Buccaneers and the Raiders in 2002. First-round picks were exchanged. People are willing to give up a lot for a coach that they're in love with. And I think Jerry Jones, knowing that father time is ticking on him, he is desperately hungry to get a Super Bowl. Why not, Sean Payton? Uh, You know where we are on him. But I don't think that Jerry Jones has the same thoughts. And good for him. Maybe he's right. I've eaten my words many a times. I'm probably fine doing it one more. But with his relationship with Jerry Jones, look out. 12 months from now, I think we're talking about Sean Payton, Dak Prescott, and the Dallas Cowboys. You guys know I like to shout things out at the end. I'm not going to do it since it's a solo episode. My only final thought for you before we wrap up It's just that the MLB Hall of Fame is a joke. The best player of all time not getting in for, what, 10 straight years? And then Roger Clemens not getting in 10 straight years. It's asinine. It shows that, I mean, this is supposed to be a hall. uh, What? This is supposed to be a museum, right? This isn't supposed to be the, hey, was this guy a good person club? Because if that was the case, there sure would be a whole hell of a lot fewer people in that. They belong in. David Ortiz getting in, I think that's what really set me off, is that he also was indicted, I guess, with this steroid use. And for some reason, he blows under the radar because he beat the Yankees. He was likable. 
That's a bullshit metric. Anyways, that is going to bring us to the end of another episode of Loss of Down, guys. We will be back next week. We'll break down both the AFC and NFC Championship game. Won't do too much of a preview next week. Want to save that for the week leading up to the Super Bowl. But who knows? We'll talk a little bit about awards, some other current events. I'm sure there'll be some more coaching and GM hires that we can get talking about. But make sure, please, you go out and follow us on Facebook at Loss of Down, Instagram at Loss of Down, and Twitter at Down underscore Loss. Please share this with all your friends and family. We really do appreciate it, guys. Next 12 months are really important for us to make sure that this is something that we want to commit to long term. If we're going to grow, this is the time we're going to have to do it. So we can't do this without you guys, and you guys know that too. We're only as good as the people that we have listening to us. But that's it for episode 63. We'll be back next week for 64. Make sure you're going to want to tune into that one. We're going to break the news to Steven on what Chicago Bears jersey he will be wearing for the first Bears-Packer matchup next year. You won't want to miss it. That's all I got. We'll see you guys next week. 